Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. If you're online with us, we're really glad that you're with us as well. Um, Y'all, we've been through quite a journey the last two and a half months. This is week 10 of this series, the 10th and final week of this series. And just if you haven't been with us the whole time, just want to give you a, a little bit of a recap on what we've talked about. Uh, we've, we've spent three weeks on the subject of sexuality to uh, talk about the, the biblical sexual ethic and what God's view of it is. We talked three weeks on politics uh, because it's such a, a divisive issue. We looked at what God's word says about our relationship with government and what we should be as followers of Jesus in a world um, we, we talked about deconstruction and how there are increasing numbers of people who uh, maybe some of them grew up in church and they, they saw that there were a bunch of secondary issues being piled on to primary issues and they started to take those apart to try and get down to the, the most important theological foundation and everyone who goes through deconstruction has different stories too. We talked about the, the subject of, of race and racism and uh, how scripture and, and the gospel has the answer to that. And last week, Taylor uh, did a great job talking about science and how we should be, as followers of Christ, how we can look at science and can see the fingerprint of God. And today, we're going we're gonna to close the series out with a conversation uh, on a topic that has been growing in uh, predominance in our culture over the last decade or a couple of decades, and that is gender, uh, the subject of gender. See, it used to be at one time, uh, we, we kind of had as a society, had an, um, an assumed uh, understanding of what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman. And uh, things started to change, gender roles started to change as a society. And, and then the question was, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And uh, now today, in many ways, in, in large groups of our culture, the question that people are asking it's not necessarily just what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, but what is a man? What is a woman? And so uh, we are going to talk about it, and we're going to look at what God's Word says in response to this and how we can think deeply and uh, converse graciously, understand biblical uh, perspective and the, how we can honor God and all of these areas of life. Now, before we, as we get started, I, I have a lot of uh, ground ground to, to cover to, to set the stage. So, three terms to understand for all of us. Three terms to understand uh, that, that we need to understand if we're going to have this conversation. The first one is gender dysphoria, uh, formerly known as gender identity disorder. It was changed in 2013. More on that later. Uh, but gender dysphoria is characterized by a severe and persistent discomfort in one's biological sex. It typically begins in early childhood, ages two to four, though it may grow more severe in adolescence. But in most cases, nearly 70%, maybe up to even 80%, uh, childhood gender dysphoria resolves. They get to a certain point, maybe hit puberty, uh, get to adulthood, and that those discomforts re- resolve. Um, now, speaking to this, um, th- there has been an increase um, lately um, in terms of the numbers that we're seeing of people saying that they have 
gender dysphoria. Abigail Schreier is a long quote. I don't have it up on the screen, so just follow with me here. She said this, historically it, as in gender dysphoria, gender identity disorder, affected a tiny sliver of the population, roughly 0.1%, and almost exclusively boys. Before 2012, in fact, there was no scientific literature on girls ages 11 to 21 ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. In the last decade, that has changed and dramatically. The Western world has seen a sudden surge of adolescents claiming to have gender dysphoria and self-identifying as transgender. For the first time in medical history, natal girls are not only present among those so identifying, they can constitute the majority. Why? What happened? How did an age group that had always been the minority of those afflicted as adolescents come to form the majority? Perhaps more significantly, why did the sex ratio flip from overwhelmingly boys to majority adolescent girls? Abigail's uh, focus is on uh, what the second term is, and, and that is this, rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is the, the same kind of feelings, this, uh, this discomfort and uh, severe discomfort um, on, on their, their biological sex and feeling like they are a different gender. And, and it's rapid onset gender dysphoria is differentiated in the fact that it appears more or less suddenly and seemingly out of the blue. So typically when someone has gender identity disorder, gender dysphoria, uh, uh, it shows up as a two, three, four-year-old and, and it persists. In a variety of ways, but it persists. And, you know, I don't know about you, but the two, three, and four-year-olds that I'm around uh, usually don't, don't try to hide things. They're just, they're just out in the open with stuff. Um, and so it's very clear for parents seeing them, them progress through this. But what we're seeing is an is a exponential increase in especially adolescent girls who are identifying as transgender and it coming from seemingly out of the blue. The third uh, term to understand as we get started in this is the term that you probably heard the most of, and that is transgender. This is the dictionary definition of it, of relating to or being a person whose gender identity differs from the sex the person had or was identified as having at birth. Uh, I've got a graphic up here that I want to show you. Uh, just kind of articulates the, the growth in, um, in, in this uh, in our society. Uh, by by generation. So this is represented LGBTQ, so not just someone who identifies as transgender, but anyone who identifies as lesbian, uh, gay, bi uh, bisexual, transgender, and questioning. And there's uh, other terms that are associated with it as well. But as you can see, the, there's been growth over the generations uh, in these numbers. Traditionalists, if you were born before 1946, 0.8% baby boomers, uh, um, you know, 2.6, Gen X, about 4 Millennials more than doubled to ten and a half, and then Gen Z doubled again to twenty point eight percent of people identifying as LGBTQ. Now that's a large group, so granted that does not uh, only represent uh, those who identify as transgender. But uh, what we have seen is a phenomenon that has represented point one percent in the past of the population has now uh, just simply for adolescent girls has represented to two percent. Um, so that's a rapid, rapid increase. Um, and, and so the question is, well, uh, is this something that is happening? Is What is gender dysphoria? How can we understand it? And what do we do in response to it? Is it something um, to be appeased and to be celebrated? Because that's largely what we see in our culture today, is that someone uh, will have gender dysphoria, gender identity disorder, whether they call it that or not, but they will identify as transgender. And, and what we see in the culture today there's no, no questions being asked, just appeasement and celebration. And the question is, is that 
Is that the right response? Now, the question, like, one of the things that we need to understand is the, the definition of gender dysphoria. Um, the word dysphoria um, is simply a, a symptomatic uh, articulation of someone who's dealing with some kind of mental uh, difficulty. So it's the stress, it's the, it's the uneasiness of any kind of uh, general, not gender, general dysphoria. So when you are dealing with a general dysphoria, um, usually that's the symptom. There's something underneath the surface that you're dealing with. And so when we go to counselors, we go to mental health people, and they are there to help us uh, uncover what is under the surface that is maybe the, the root cause that is causing us to have this dysphoria. The problem is, though, in our society today, in large ways, um, when it comes to gender dysphoria, it's not approached the same way. Instead, it's just appeased and celebrated versus talked through and then treated. Um, a, a guy by the name of Walt Heyer, he, he said this um, in 2013... The American Psychiatric Association changed all that, as in how we uh, treat dysphoria, specifically now, in this moment, related to gender dysphoria. In 2013, the American Psychiatric Association changed all that and declared that if dysphoria is related to gender identity, then look no further, skip psychological evaluation, and proceed directly to taking cross-sex hormones and removing healthy body parts. Their fact sheet advises people whose gender at birth is contrary to the one they identify with will be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. The stated goal in using the term gender dysphoria was to reduce stigma of mental illness for the patients, uh, so no longer disordered, yet still provide a diagnosis code to satisfy the insurance companies. Consequently, in medical settings today, as soon as a patient mentions gender, most pediatricians, psychiatrists, and psychologists immediately diagnose the person with gender dysphoria and put the individual on a direct path to cross-sex hormones and mutilating surgery. Walt Heyer, he's got an interesting story. He's speaking out on this, um, and his criticism is that we should be treating gender dysphoria in the same way that we treat other dysphorias um, that, that have other root causes. And uh, the reason is, see, Walt, he, he's a little bit older now. He, growing up, um, he, at the age of four, recognized some kind of persistent, extreme discomfort with his biology and, and felt an uneasiness with being a man, being a boy. Uh, he grew up and, and uh, ended up being an executive at an automobile industry, and then he worked for NASA for a while. And then in the 80s, he uh, found what was, you know, he, he calls a gender expert. Um, and this was the, the person who wrote the, uh, the process in which how you should treat gender, dis, gender identity disorder in terms of the hormones and the, the surgery. Uh, he went to him. He's like, hey, I've been dealing with this since I was four. Um, I, I, I need some help. And the, the gender expert doctor uh, responded with, well, you're cured. The, the way you can get cured from this is you need to get on hormone treatment and you need to have surgery uh, to change you, uh, by, you know, your body to be a woman and, and then everything will be, be better. And uh, he, he lived as a transgender person for six years and then started studying psychology for himself at UC Santa Cruz. And what he started to find as he was reading through the psychology books is Something interesting, that about 70-80% of the people who um, were diagnosed with gender identity disorder also had comorbid disorders. Uh, 
So in other words, there was other things going on under the surface with their mental health than just simply gender identity disorder, some of which uh, would be uh, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and, and others. Um, and these were things that his doctor wasn't paying attention to. Um, and so he started to realize that the predominant rhetoric around transgenderism is that of acceptance and celebration, um, but it's more focused on an ideology than it is on medical practice. Um, so the question for us is, how should we think about this subject? How should we think about gender? How should we think about transgenderism and the rise of this? What does Scripture say about it? So let's look at the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, um, and this is what God's Word says related to this. Genesis chapter 1, right in the beginning of the book, um, verse 27, this is, what, uh, this is what it says. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So, so in the beginning, God decided to create mankind. He could have created man in, uh, in, in a variety of different ways. He could have just made one type of person, uh, biologically. He could have just made only men or only women. That's what he could have done. He could have made four or five different ones. But what he decided to do was he decided to create two, man and woman. And, and that... Uh, pattern has been all throughout the rest of Scripture. And what we see is that, according to Scripture, that someone's sex is connected to their gender. Their gender is connected to their biological makeup. That those things are not separated. Those things are the same. And that's, that's what we see Scripture, just laying a simple foundation. You know, there's... In some ways, the theological response to this is a very simple one. That God created man and woman in the image of God. He, he saw it fit to create a man and a woman to image himself. And so that's what Scripture says. So why the gender confusion? Why is this happening? Well, I think we can go back to why anything in creation is distorted. What's the reason? Because of sin. Because sin entered in. We know, because we read Genesis 1, if you've been in church for a little while, this thing happened in Genesis 3 where sin entered into the cosmos and sin has invaded and infiltrated every crevice of creation and every crevice of human beings. In our hearts, and our minds, and our bodies, we, we see this. So now what we see in existence is difficulty. We see disease. We see death. And so, why the gender confusion? Well, I think foundationally, it's from a foundation of sin because of its confusion. Because, you know, the, here's the thing. We shouldn't, I'm going to say we shouldn't be surprised about these things, but in the same way, eternity, God created us with eternity in our hearts. So we, we crave and desire perfection. We crave and desire perfect love, perfect truth. We crave and desire perfect belonging. That's what we crave. And so when we see things like this, sin showing itself in our society, it makes us uncomfortable. But, but because we know the story, we shouldn't be surprised when we see it. So, for example, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we see 
uh, things like someone being born, a child is born, say, with one of the, these conditions that the medical world describes as intersex, where, where their reproductive anatomy is, is in some way developed in an atypical way. It's not clear from their, their, bio, their, their bodily makeup whether they're a boy or a girl. It's an extremely rare occurrence, but it affects about 0.018% of the population. It does happen, though. It's a, it's a bodily deformity. We see this happening in the world. And why is that? It's because of sin. Because sin has entered in. We shouldn't be a surprise when a child is born. Uh, again, it breaks our heart on, on both accounts. It breaks our heart. But we shouldn't be surprised when uh, a child is born with a developmental difficulty. Uh, that makes it hard for them to learn in the same ways as their peers. And we shouldn't be surprised when children, even adults, develop some confusion around who they are. So in, in many ways, we shouldn't be surprised that this kind of thing is occurring. But, you see, I don't want to oversimplify this at all. Um, because I, I do believe that sin is the foundation of all of this. I don't want to create any kind of way where we're saying, well, this is just an over, overly simplistic way of looking at this. It's not. Because as Mark Yarhouse said, he's a biblical scholar on the subject and field of sexuality and gender. Uh, he said this, if you've met one person who's tra- who is transgender, you've only met one person. In other words... Behind the issue of gender, behind the issue of gender identity, are real people with real stories. And, and they've got real reasons for themselves of why they've gotten to this point in life. And so we need to not forget that, that this is not simply an issue. It has to do with people. Think about this. Consider the, the adolescent who... Is, is abused by a guardian and realizes that when they start dressing like a different gender, the abuse stops. What do you say to them? Or consider the, the young teenager who's desperately trying to find themselves to try and figure out who they are and how to find belonging, how to find acceptance in this world. And at the same time, they're trying to just figure out, okay, who am I in this whole vast universe? Meanwhile, they're experiencing anxiety because of all this and, and, and just discomfort. And then they get onto YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and they, they come across a video from a trans activist. And uh, this person is saying, hey, maybe the reason why you're so anxious, maybe the reason why you're so... Uh, dealing with difficulty maybe the reason why you're you're so having such a hard time is maybe because your your biology and your gender don't match even though you've been trying to match it and then and then the 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 young person starts thinking okay well let's just say they're they're a boy well okay um yeah i do i do i fit in as a as a boy i'd rather go hang out with mom and maybe go to a a play at the theater then watch the game at home with dad. Me and dad don't have a lot in common, but me and mom do. Maybe I'm not, am I not, am I not a boy? Or maybe the, the girl, she, she likes going with her, with her father out hunting and doing a lot of outdoor stuff that her mom is not interested in at all. And she starts to question, am I, am I, am I a girl? Maybe this, maybe this, 
change, this maybe this is the, the solution to all the things that are ailing me as a young person. Because so many things, like for us who are older, like we forget sometimes how difficult it is to be a teenager. So many things are changing. Trying to figure out what this world is and, and who you are and your body's completely changing all the time. It's difficult. And so we, we start to see that, that they, they, they see all this celebration of people who are, are brave and, and identify as transgender. They see the acceptance. They see the celebration. They see the community that they can be a part of. And, and it's luring to some. And so in an effort to find that belonging, they go there everywhere they look. It's, you know, this, this isn't just a subject that is being discussed and debated. It's a, it's a ph- phenomenon that's been celebrated and affirmed. So they, they see that and they want that. So why the gender confusion? Everyone has their own story, to be sure. And, and do some people suffer from gender identity disorder? Yes, they do. Do some people turn to transgenderism as a refuge in a confusing world? Yeah. Has transgenderism become something that has been normalized, celebrated, and affirmed for young people in large swaths of our society? Yes, it has. I believe maybe one of the contributing factors that is maybe part of the the dynamic here, and this is where we get a little less simplistic on our theology and we start to dig in a little bit into some other areas that are also dealing with this, is um, the the predominance of gender stereotypes and how we articulate what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? What does that look like? And, And I think in many ways, sometimes even in the church, um, we've not been very helpful in this. And the, and the irony is, though, in, uh, when, when it's transgender activists, um, the irony is, is in an effort to go beyond gender, to, to transcend gender. In an effort to do that, they've bought into this idea that gender is a, is a spectrum, and on the edges of, let's say, masculinity is the the most legalistic kind of rigid gender stereotypes of what it means to be a man. And on the other end, what does it mean to what, what does femininity look like? It's it's a buying into the the most rigid gender stereotypes. And it's it's in that view of this is a spectrum that we see some problems start to take place. And I think maybe the gender stereotypes maybe have a part to play. And, you know, let's just think about this. Stereotypical masculine traits. Just got to give you three. Uh, what are they? Um, a man is assertive. He's passionate. Resourceful. Is that true of some men? Yeah. Others? Yeah. Or stereotypical feminine traits. Patient. Kind. Nurturing. But is it really that simple? Uh, if, if, we, if, if you will, let's, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Ladies, you'll know what I'm getting at if you have been, read Proverbs 31. It's the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, she's the perfect woman. The woman you're like, well, her bar is way too high. Right? Ladies, can I get an amen? <laughs> All the Bible studies on Proverbs 31. It's like, oh my goodness, she's perfect makes me feel terrible. Anyway, um, verse 10. Let's just look at what the Proverbs 31 woman says and see how many gender stereotypes she fits into. Uh, Verse 10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. All right. All right. Amen. 
Verse 13, she selects, I'm just jumping to some, some, pass, some verses. We're not reading the whole, the whole passage. Uh, verse 13, she selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from far away. So this woman, she works with her hands. She seems to be a hunter, a gatherer. She's a provider. Huh, okay. Verse 16, she evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night. So she's an opportunistic entrepreneur. She's strong. She's a provider for her household. She's a hard worker. Hmm. Verse 22, she makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She is resourceful. Verse 26, her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She's a wise teacher. This woman, y'all, blasts through some of the gender stereotypes of her day and of our day. In many ways, she's a modern woman, y'all. So if a woman likes business, does that make her less of a woman? No. If a woman likes to hunt, does that make her less of a woman? No. But let's just ask the question, what does it mean to be a man? Okay, let's look at the New Testament and see a passage in here. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, this is what Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is. He says this, verse, Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So according to Scripture, Scripture, uh, this was not just given to women. It was also given to men. Any person who follows Jesus is indwelled by the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is the work that the Spirit does inside of us as He makes us become more like Jesus. So, what does it mean to be a man? Let's just consider one uh, the ones that just kind of seem like they don't fit with the masculine stereotypes. Um, loving. Patient. Kind. Gentle. Is that like stereotypically what we think of when we think of what it means to be a man? Not always. So what if the fruit of the Spirit were our answer to the questions of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman who follows after Jesus? What is a man? What is a woman? It's, it's pretty clear. It's from our biology. But... Let's, let's make no mistake. Uh, there are differences between men and women. Uh, vast differences. Um, just from a sociological statistical point of view. Like you don't have to be a sociologist or a st- statistician to see these differences play out. Um, by and large, now there are definitely, um, there, there are definitely uh, cases where this is not the case. But uh, for the most part, men are usually taller than women. Not always, but mostly. Are, are men usually more physically strong than women? For the most part, with exceptions, yes. Do, do men and women think differently? Yeah. <laughs> Fellas, have you ever figured out how she, what makes her tick? You know? We don't know. We're just, 
We're just trying. <laughs> I know, ladies, like, what, what is wrong with you, right? That's what you say to, your, to the men in your life. What is wrong with you? <laughs> we are different. We're different. But just because, just because a girl likes things that guys like does not mean that the girl is any less of a girl. Just because a guy likes some of the things that the girls like does not mean that that guy is less of a guy. But, but let's just think about this, y'all. For those of you who are raising kids in a gender-confused world, for those of you who have grandkids in a gender-confused world, this is the world we're living in. What can we say? What can we do? What is our answer? How can we do this well? Uh, I've got a rather long quote that I think speaks to this. Uh, Ellen Radcliffe said this. From the tender age of three... Children become keenly aware of how their same-sex parent wields their masculinity or femininity. Perhaps one of the most important applications for a family in warding off the potential gain of rigid stereotypes is the emotional availability of both parents and the connection the child has with the parent of the same sex. It can be frightening and distressing for a young boy to notice that he does not naturally emulate his father's example of masculinity or for a young girl to recognize that her expression of her femininity differs from that of her mother. Equal connection with both parents is the salve that can mollify the potential shame that can arise in a fragile heart. I think what Alan's getting at is this, that even if you're, let's just say, if, let's say your father does fit into the stereotypes that, that we pointed to, uh, that, that he is in many ways more assertive, more passionate, more resourceful. Um, even if that is the case, and, and even if your mother fits into the stereotypes of being patient and kind and, and nurturing, um, even if that is the case, what human beings need is both. Because together, men and women image God. We are created in the image of God. So does, do men need to be gentle and patient and kind and nurturing? Yeah. Do women need to be passionate and resourceful and assertive? Yeah. And that's what she's saying is that when we can, as parents, as grandparents, when we can give a healthy picture of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman that is not just within the gender, rigid gender stereotypes, we do our kids and our grandkids, our nieces and our nephews, the young people in our lives. We do them a great benefit. So what is our opportunity right now? As, as followers of Christ, um, who are, as, as Scripture calls us, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, what is our responsibility here? What can we do in this world? Well, three things at least. We can listen well. We can love well. And we can always speak truth in love. I'll give them to you again. Listen well. Everyone, every person behind the issue of gender identity has a story. We need to be the people who are willing to listen to people's story. Listen well. We need to love well. Because these are real people. And for some of them, they are actually suffering from a, gen, a mental disorder that is ailing them. And number three, we need to always speak the truth in love. We don't sacrifice one on the altar of the other. We must do both. Friends, we've got a culture right now that is, that is confused. There are some states... 
where if a, if a young minority, like, you know, or uh, what's the word? Uh, a young person, a uh, minor, that's the word, a minor. If a minor um, self-diagnoses as they, are gen- they have gender dysphoria, they can go to some places. They can tell them that they, I, I have gender dysphoria. And without any kind of questioning, any kind of parental consent, they can sign a form and they can get hormone treatment right there. It's not healthy. We're not leading people well. In some countries, it's becoming illegal to do counseling, talk therapy with those who are dealing with gender identity disorder, gender dysphoria. Because if you even, if you're a counselor and you're sitting here with someone who's dealing with this, and maybe you're a Christian and, and you're trying to lead them toward the truth, but also you're, you're, you're well aware of what's going on, um, you, could, you could lose your license if you at all, at all hint to the idea that they are not the gender they think they might be. If you at all try to cultivate and go underneath the surface and try to get to the root cause of this, you could lose your license. See, we're living in a world right now that is confused and that is leading our young people especially into places of confusion in a time in their life where everything is confusing anyway. So we as followers of Jesus need to do these things, listen well, to love well, and to speak the truth in love. And always remember this, y'all. A confused world needs perfect grace and truth. Jesus Christ. That's who, that's who they need. They need Jesus Christ. He's the way and the truth and the life. A confused world needs perfect grace and truth. And the only place you can find perfect grace and truth is in Jesus. And hopefully people will find a glimpse of grace and truth in the church, in you and me. Now, if you want to know who you are, Make sure you understand whose you are. If you want to understand who you are, make sure you understand whose you are, who you belong to, who created you. This is what your story is and what my story is. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says this, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. If you want to understand who you are, understand whose you are. You know, as we close out this 10-week series where we've been delving into some uh, difficult topics, some uncomfortable topics for some, um, my three goals have been the whole time have been this, that I want to try as best as I can by the work of God through me and through our conversations and community groups and the community group leaders and your conversations with family and friends that, that God would be at work in all of us to equip us to, number one, think biblically, to think biblically about all these things, to number two, converse graciously, to be able to understand that there is another person on the side of this and we can listen and we can respond with grace and with truth. And number three, that we can honor God in all these areas of life, that we can be equipped to think biblically about all these things, to converse graciously with others 
And that at the end of the day, we would honor God in all these areas of life. That's, my, that's been my prayer. That's been my hope. And, and that's why we've got, gotten into the deep end with these things. So hope and pray that God has moved in your life. I, I pray and I believe that he has. Um, but as we, as we close this conversation, remember, if you want to understand who you are, understand whose you are. And if I could just say this for anyone who may be struggling or maybe uh, questioning some of these things, like um, God has created you uniquely and wonderfully. And just because you don't fit into some box that people have made for you does not mean you throw it all away in terms of how you understand yourself to be. God's word is clear. Gender and biology are connected. That there is freedom in being a human being after the Lord. If you like hunting, go like hunt, ladies. It's, it's fine. It's all good. Fellas, if you, if you like art, that's fine. It's all good. If you want to understand who you are, understand whose you are. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have brought us together today to worship your name, to wrestle with some of the, the dynamics that are happening in our world right now. God, I pray that you would lead us in how we can be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Help us to do that. God, you, would you empower us as men and as women to be the people you want us to be. God, to be, to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, to be good and faithful and self-controlled. Would you help us, Lord? We know that any, any good thing that we do, any good thing that comes from us and any good thing that happens in us is a result of your work through us. God, help us to trust you when this world just con continues to throw confusing thing after confusing thing at us. Help us to cling to the truth, but also sit and listen to the dynamics and the experiences of other people so that we can be people who come around and come alongside of them and with grace, with love, share truth with them. God, I believe that you want to bring people to yourself, so would you please use us in that? And hear us as we sing and worship you. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.